You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. We're in Romans chapter 8, and I am so encouraged to be with the family of God. I love the church, I love the kingdom, I love all the disciples. I want to thank all the disciples that gave their special missions contribution early right there. You, are, you deserve to be commended for your faith. You're living in the spirit. Uh, I want to thank all those who have given over the course of years to really support and show that their faith was manifest by their deeds. And, and I want to thank you for those that have given like that over the course of years to build the movement of God. What we have is special and never, ever, ever doubt that. What we are all a part of, what we are doing is worth it. It is always worth it for the kingdom of God. You know, today we are in the book of Romans. Uh, and if you're visiting for the first time, we've been studying out the book of Romans. And we are in Romans chapter 8 today. Of course, last week we got a chance to look at chapter 6 and chapter 7. But we will, we will try to glean some insight from chapter 8 today. And I know you're studying out the book of Romans. I, I know you know where Paul was at when he wrote the book of Romans. Oh, got a little quiet on that one right there. Corinth, that's right. Somebody said Corinth. Okay. And I know you know when he wrote the book of Romans. 58 AD, but if you're taking an ICCM, it's 57 AD right there. Amen. Uh, absolutely. And yet Paul, such an incredible, incredible man of God, weaves in through the, the whole treatise a theme that really should hit every individual that calls himself a Christian or a disciple. That the righteous will live by faith. And yet you do not have faith if your faith is not manifest with deeds. Deeds don't earn your salvation. They are simply the fruit of you actually having faith. You cannot say you have faith in God and say you just believe and belief is enough. That's not a complete faith. And impartial obedience is totally disobedient. And so we believe that faith is manifest by your deeds. Why do we believe that? Jesus believes that. When Jesus goes through the seven churches of Galatia, uh, of a book of Revelation, he simply says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. He says that over and over and over. Why? Because we in our flesh, we say, well, in my heart, I want to serve God. In my heart, I want to do. In my heart, I want to do. My deeds are doing something else. But in my heart, and Jesus says, I don't, no, 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 your deeds evidence your heart. That's why he goes to make a judgment on those churches by saying, hey, wherever your deeds are, that's where your heart is. And yet Satan loves and would even, dare I say, like to confuse even Christians. To help even disciples believe that your deeds don't evidence your heart. Absolutely wrong. Your deeds show where your heart is at. And this is strictly what Jesus Christ says. We are a Bible church, are we not? We believe that the Word of God is the Holy Bible. We don't believe in any other teaching that can be squeezed on in. We don't believe in that. We believe if you add to the Word of God, God will rebuke you and prove you a liar, Proverbs chapter 30. And so we, we are a Bible church. And so th this treatise is a powerful treatise that Paul, Paul's writing, and he's not writing it to those who did not have faith. He's writing it to those who say, hey, I am a sold-out disciple. Oh 
Romans chapter 8. Verse 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Amen. I mean, you can stop right there. He says, hey, listen, there was one time in your life where there was condemnation based upon how your deeds were, how your life was. And yet this is Paul the Apostle who was not doing many of the sins that I think about that were in my life. This is Paul the Apostle who, who, who hey, he, he, he read his Bible. He knew the law. He, he, he called himself a devout. He thought he was a devout believer. But he killed Christians. He killed Christians. And so there was condemnation because he was trying to earn his salvation by the law. There are a lot of people that believe in the Bible. Just because you believe in the Bible does not mean you have a relationship with God. God's love is unconditional. In other words, God, God is love, so God cannot be loving. We, we can be unloving, but God cannot be unloving. Everything God does is done from the heart of love. See, we can, you know, decide to love, but we, we are not love. God is love. So even God's righteous judgment, his condemnation, comes from a heart of love. He has to condemn that which is evil. And don't you believe the same? Something that's evil must be condemned. And yet, he says here, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That means when you are not in Christ, condemnation hangs over your head. God believes in condemnation. If God believes in condemnation, we should believe in condemnation. But the, the, the encouraging thing is they didn't have to feel condemned anymore. You know why? Because they were sold out disciples. If you're a sold out disciple, you don't have to feel condemned. Is that not awesome? <laughs> He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending his own son in his likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man. He says what the law was unable to do. He said it didn't matter. So, you know, it doesn't matter how well you know your Bible. You're not justified through Bible knowledge. You're not justified by being a legalist. You, that, that won't get it for you. You, you. You've got to make sure that you're connected to God through the Spirit. Amen. And right here it just says Jesus was sent to be a sin offering, to die for us. It says in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. He says the true disciples stopped, they made a conscious decision to stop living based on the sinful nature, the flesh. And they started living for the Spirit. We know the Spirit is the Word of God. John chapter 6, verse 63, it says the Word of God is Spirit. He says the words I've spoken to you are Spirit. That means if you took all the Bibles and burned them, it doesn't matter because God's Word would be eternal. There are only three things that are eternal on the face of the earth. God the word of God and the souls of men. And so the word of God is the spirit. The word of God lasts forever. It doesn't matter whether you like it, don't like it, believe it, don't believe it. The word of God lasts forever. It is eternal. And he calls all disciples to live based on the spirit, the word of God. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desire you know it all starts with your mind paul just says those who are 
who want, who want to, and it's all about your life too. He says those who live according to the sinful nature, they got their mindset. It's already made up. Their mind is already, it's, it's set. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. I want to please my sinful nature. But he says those controlled by the spirit have their mind set. I want to please the spirit. I want to please God. I don't even want to please myself. I want to please God. I just got to ask you, do you want to please God? Say it like you mean. I want to please God. I want you to believe that for the rest of your life. I want my behavior to please God. I want my decisions to please God. I want to please God in my marriage. I want, I want God to be pleased. Now, my wife may not get pleased, but God will be pleased. I want to please God in my marriage. My husband may not be pleased by this decision, but God will be pleased. I want to please God. My kids may, 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 may be mad at me for being their parent, not their friend. But I want to please God. My parents may be mad because I'm not going to their church. But I want to please God even over my parents. I want to live by the Spirit and please God. This is, this is the kind of thing Paul's saying right here. Now he gives us a description. The mind of the sinful man is death, verse 6. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. He says when your mind is controlled by the Word of God, there's peace. You feel like this. Mm, everything is fine. It's a peaceful day. Everybody's pushing and bumping and fighting on the London tube. And my mind is not controlled by the fact that this train line is going down now. Oh no! Now I'm just I'm with everybody else. I'm ticked off too. No, he says the mind, and it starts here. It says, the, the, the mind of the simple man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. God wants you to have life, and God wants you to have peace. But the only way to have life and peace is to have your mind controlled by the spirit. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. In other words, it does not submit to the word of God, nor can it do so. Why can't it? Because it's already made its mind up not to, to be submissive in, in the first place. See, if someone's already made their mind up, th there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how clever you are. It doesn't matter how insightful you are. It, it, they've already made up their mind. So they cannot please God. Nor can they submit to God. Since those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by what? You guys reading the Bible? You guys with me here? Can I teach you anything I want? Are you guys going to go by the Okay, make sure we're okay. Right. It says, we're controlled by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, remember, who's he writing to? He's questioning Christian salvation. He's saying, some of you, I know you're here at church. Some of you, I know you're reading this letter. But I really question if God's Spirit is in you. I don't see a life of peace. I see hostility towards the law, towards the Bible. 
You know, I always share with people when I share a scripture. Hey, if I'm sharing a scripture with you and you get mad at me, don't worry. You're not mad at me. You, you, you've got a problem with God. Me and you are okay. We're cool. I like you, man. You're awesome. You're great. Don't worry. I, hey, I, we, can, we can be friends. You've got a problem with God, though. <laughs> Your anger may come out on me. But your real issue is you, you have a problem with God. How do I know that's who I was? I got mad at people when truly I was really mad at God. I'll never forget the first individual that showed me some scriptures and questioned whether I was really a Christian. Michael, you got trust issues. You, you, you're really bitter because you never knew who your father was. <laughs> what? I'm not bitter. You're going to tell me I'm bitter. That's how I responded to him. He goes, yeah, I think you're a little bit bitter. Who you don't even know me? I know, but I know the word of God. And yeah. just based on your response, that there's a hostility in your heart. I, I, I hated him. Even though he was reading the scriptures, I was mad at him. I didn't even hear what he was saying. I, went, I just saw like red. I'm going to kill this guy. Because he touched on a sensitive area in my heart that I'd never dealt with as a Christian or as a non-Christian. The fact that I had uh, a bitterness towards the fact that I never knew who my father was. And it came out different. I thought because I didn't have any emotional feelings connected to him that I was fine. Hey, I don't feel anything. The real issue was that I was really angry at, at God for the kind of things that I was not able to do because I did not have a father in my life. And so that's how it manifests. And, and it produced a hostility in me and a lack of trust, not only in people who would be above me or authority figures, but it, it truly produced a lack of trust in God. That still can creep up some, day, some days when I, when I start wanting to live by the flesh and not by the spirit. And so I, I always have to crucify Michael, crucify myself when I'm tempted to, to, to really go there and get hostile in my heart. Hostility isn't just the outward. Sometimes hostility is inward. Some of us react outwardly in our hostility. Others of us react just the same way. It's just inside. Some of us are the Coke bottle that you shake up and you take the top off. <laughs> Right? Some of us. And brothers and sisters are like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm the Coke bottle. Pfft, it comes off. Coke Zero. It comes all out. Yuri's another one. It just comes out. He, he's one of those ones. We've got some sisters in the house. You're the same way, too. But then sometimes, some of us are the Coke bottle where it's shaking up. But you know what happens if the lid comes off, so you screw it on a little tighter. And inside, you are ready to explode. I mean, you see people on the train like that. They are just angry. They're, you know something's going on. <laughs> they just don't get open. And yet, as a true Christian, you have the opportunity to be completely open, to let all that stuff come out and live by the Spirit. And live by the Spirit. He says in verse 9, you're not controlled by the sinful nature. But by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you, I'm sure that hits some of the Christians. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. That had to hit home as well. Paul is telling some of the Christians, hey, some of you may not be disciples. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And the church said, 
and he says, Jesus' spirit is living in you. God's spirit. This isn't, this isn't some scientific thing. It's the spirit of God is inside of you. You've got the spirit of God. When I read my Bible, I, I, I get so fascinated by the miracles in the Bible. I can get going a little too long sometimes. I'm, I'm, I'm a creative kind of type of person. You may have noticed that a little bit. And I, and I start thinking about some of the great miracles. I go, wow, what, how would it have been to be there at, at the Garden of Eden? What would it have been like? I mean, it must have been amazing seeing all the colors for the first time. Seeing everything, seeing the grass of the field for the first time. Seeing how Adam probably addressed his wife. After all, he's the first guy that wrote a song about a woman. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, the first song is by Adam. See, Adam was an AMS guy. Amen. Okay. <laughs> Saw the great miracles. I like, I like to see, think of Abraham when he got the call. I want you to leave your nation. And go, wow, just to see his, his steadfast faith. I think about the, the Exodus. Seeing all the Israelites coming out. Seeing them cross on over. And seeing the enemies destroyed. To be able to visually see that. What, what's your favorite miracle? What about Noah? Building that ark. He took everything he owned and built something that nobody ever seen in their entire life. Never, no, never, no one's ever seen an ark. No one's ever seen rain. Can you imagine? God comes to him and says, hey, it's going to rain. Take everything you own and build an ark. Not only does he build an ark, only eight people got saved. That teaches that only a few will be saved. These are miracles in the Bible. And Paul has to come to the church and tell them all these miracles. Number one, they pale in compared, the ones I just mentioned, pale in compared to the greatest miracle, which is the resurrection. Jesus rising from the dead. That is the most incredible miracle. That means that God superseded death. And everyone in this room, we, 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 will, not, we will not be able to run from death. We're all going to die. I just want to encourage you with that. We don't like thinking of death, do we? I mean, you didn't wake up and go, wow, I wonder how I'm going to die today. I mean, when Michael said that in his prayer, I kinda, that kind of hit me a little bit. It's like, get us ready to die. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we want to live, don't we? But we're all going to die someday. And yet God's spirit, he's saying right here, the same spirit that did all those miracles I just listed, it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit inside of you. If. You're controlled by the Spirit. And you are a true disciple. I just simply entitled the lesson, Led by the Flesh or Led by the Spirit? Are you led by your flesh or are you led by the Spirit? I want to be led by the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And yet the Spirit's focus in this particular chapter Paul focuses on the Spirit more in this chapter than he, than he does in the entire treatise of Romans. And he says, hey, there's really only two ways to live, by the flesh or by the Spirit, which really highlights that there are only two religions, the right one and the wrong one. I, I just want to clear it up for those. If you're visiting, there, there's not a bunch of different ways. There, there's the right way to God and the wrong way to God. And I tell you, the right way is not through the flesh, or the wrong way is... Yeah. Yeah, the right way is not through the flesh. Satan almost got me there. Right way is through the spirit. 
We are to be controlled either by the spirit or the flesh. That's what Paul's saying. You're going to be controlled by your flesh or you will allow yourself to be controlled by the spirit. When I think of the flesh, I think of what, what, what it really means. I, I was looking at all the Greek words and he says flesh just means flesh, your feelings, you. <laughs> the Greek means your flesh, your instincts, your natural instincts, you. you. That, that, that's how I live my life, being controlled by my flesh. What I felt, what I thought, what I wanted, what I saw, basically being controlled by me. And I realized that I was very similar to um, an individual that came into our home recently. It was a small rat. Yeah. Rats do not care about the spirit. They're, they're ruthless. They want what their flesh wants. In that moment, right then, right, right, that's what they want. And I remember we were sitting there and I was doing my lesson right there, like that, and I saw this little black thing go. And I thought, okay, I am getting a little bit older, but I did get the LASIK eye surgery. Maybe I'm still doing okay. Maybe it's my eyes. I don't know. Hmm. No, no, did I see, but, no, okay, let me go back. And then I saw it again right there. You know how mics are, phew, very quick. So then I went to Michelle. Michelle said, did you see? I go, I saw a rat too, babe. And this rat came in into our home, and, and so Michelle, she, you know, she had the classic response of, of women who know rats are at home. She got a bit hostile, said, honey, you're controlled by the spirit. You're controlled by the spirit. It's okay. We settled it down, and we got the rat traps and all that good stuff. And sure enough, we put the rat traps out, and then there in the morning, I put a little piece of cheese right there and some nice, good cabamere. It's a good cheese. Cabamere. Cheese. Oui. Let's put it right there. And that piece of cake, that got him. He just, he, he was there. And, and you know how the trap is? You put your nose down, and it catches your nose. Yeah. And then he tries to get his little hand up, and he catches his hand. And he tries to, and so he was, he was trapped. <laughs> and, 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 you know, he's like this and screaming and all that stuff. And then in the morning, Michelle says, hey, that rat. And so I get, go there, pick him up. And as soon as I pick him up, he goes, hey, hey, hey. Starts screaming. I put him in the bag, and I take him out and throw him away. It was awesome. Animals do not live based on the spirit. I know that's deep. It, it just says, I, I need food. It's not freezing outside. I'm going to go into that home. I smell some cabinet. And I'm going to live there. Job chapter 12, verse 7 through 10 teaches that animals don't have a spirit that can be saved. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 21 teaches that who knows the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of an animal which goes down to the earth. We, we are part of God's kingdom. We are part of God's kingdom. We, we are not part of the animal kingdom. The world wants you to believe you're part of the animal kingdom. That's the reason why they believe in evolution. Because the world is led by the flesh. The world is led by what they feel, what they want, what they want to eat. That's how the world is led. That's why they want to prove so bad that we are just, we come from animals. Because they don't know how to deal with their flesh. They got to prove to the world that you, we come from animals. No, we did not. We were created in the image of God. And if you're a true disciple, you got the spirit of God. You can control your flesh. How? Let the spirit rise amongst us.
Now, when I became a Christian, I was told, you know, feeding your spirit and feeding the flesh are like two animals. Two animals. And whoever, whichever one you feed gets bigger and stronger. You either feed the small grizzly or you feed the mastiff. Now, a mastiff, well, we know what a grizzly bear is. But a mastiff, for those that don't know, mastiffs are these Chinese powerful, powerful guard dogs. Uh, they're a cross between a Rottweiler and a grizzly bear. They're called lion dogs. If you've ever seen the dogs that look like lions, they're super expensive. Uh, expensive. 1.5 million pounds is the, the highest price for some of them. A 1 million pound dog, that's, a, that's an expensive dog. It doesn't even have a soul. That's, that's, that's interesting right there. Tells you what we value nowadays. They live 10 to 12 years. The most expensive guard dog in the world. It's known for its temperament, its intelligence, its strong-willed nature, its tenaciousness, and the fact that it's very, very protective. So much so that these mastiffs can ward off a grizzly bear. The grizzly comes, the mastiff is barking. It's like, whoa. They're quite, quite strong. And I really think that that's kind of how the spirit and the flesh are. You, 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 your spirit either dominates the sinful nature, and your spirit becomes the mastiff, becomes tenacious, becomes protective, become, becomes... And, and the more you feed the spirit, the stronger the spirit gets. But the less you feed the spirit, the weaker it gets. And the grizzly can take you out. It's very important to be controlled by the spirit and not the flesh. You are dead when you are not being controlled by the spirit. That's the argument Paul's making as well. You're not dead when the EEG goes flat. EEG is when your, your brain has no waves and it says, hey, there's no, you're flatlined. There's no connection. And yet spiritually, when you feel that there is no need for a connection to God or the kingdom of God, you die. The EEG just went beep. Now you can come. But if you don't believe you need the body of Christ, you are dead. You cannot separate the head from the body. What would happen if your head was separated from your body? That would not be good. That would not be good. And yet, false teachers can preach that you can have a deep, connected relationship with God and not be dead, connect away from God's kingdom, away from the church. Paul has to disciple them on, on what it really means to be dead. Is When you don't see you need a connection to the Spirit, you're dead. You're dead. You have actually died. Now, what does, it, what does it really mean to live according to the flesh? I know you guys wanted, wanted to know that. So. You can tell the burning desires in your heart. So let's, let's go over to Paul's first letter that he wrote. You know the first one that he wrote, right? It's actually 1 and 2 Thessalonians. 37 A.D. The next letter he wrote was Galatians in 55 A.D. The next was 1 2 Corinthians 57. Romans was written in 57, 58. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians written in 62. Philemon, 63. 1 Timothy, 64. Titus, 65. And 2 Timothy was written in 66, 67. Let's go to the one that talks about the flesh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Remember, this is written to Christians. Verse 19. 
Other translations say it differently. But the NIV says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Other translations say the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 16 he says, so I say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It says when you're living by the spirit, you don't even want the sinful nature. But when you're not, it doesn't say when you believe what the spirit says. You can believe in the word of God, you can still want to sin. You got to live by it. You got to live by it. That's why the righteous live by faith. But he goes through all these sins right here. He says, living by the flesh has to do with your flesh being more. When, when, you're, when you're more focused on sex, sexual immorality right here, he says, that's the first one. You know, he didn't, he didn't say the acts of sinful nature are really tough to taste. He says they're really obvious. The world you live in is over-sexualized. Everything has some sexual connotation to it. It's sad. The Greek word here is porneia. P-O-R-N-E-I-A. Porneia. In God's eyes, any unlawful sexual relationship is pornographic in his eyes. Any unlawful sexual relationship. When you're led by your flesh, you want to fulfill your fleshly desires outside the marriage covenant. Now, our flesh has desires. They're just supposed to be met in the marriage covenant. And when you want to meet those desires more than you want to meet the spirit, and you let those desires supersede the spirit, that's when you can start getting into sexual immorality. Right. And you can be led by your flesh and taken out of the kingdom of God. The next one is impurity. The Greek is akatharsia, A-K-A-R-T-H-A-R-S-I-A. It really means to have a dirty mind. Wow. He says when your mind is cluttered with a lot of gunk, it's impurity. Right. Impurity comes into your heart by three different ways, either visually, what you see, audiovisually, what you hear, or physically. You can literally damage your heart by an overindulgence in food or, or, or putting things into your heart and hurting your heart. It can really mess up your mind. Debauchery, he says. Debauchery is an overindulgence right here. This is living by the flesh. The Greek is aselgia, A-S-E-L-G-I-A. -E it means unbridled lust. Idolatry. This is worshiping any kind of false god. How do you know what an idol is? Anything that controls you that is not God, that's an idol. The only thing that should control your decision making is God. If you control your decision making and you don't let God, you're led by the flesh. And this can be an idol. This was my problem and still is my problem. Thanks be to God, I got the grace of God. I have to put Michael to death because I like what I like. And God goes, that's not what I want to give you. You need to put yourself on the altar of sacrifice and get rid of it. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. That's an inspirational topic, isn't it? The Greek is pharmakeia. It's where we get the word pharmacy. He says, those who live by the flesh are quick to use drugs. This isn't talking about the person who's been commanded by the, the, the doctor that they cannot live a healthy life without a medication. This is the person that has a problem that should be met spiritually, but they go to drugs first. 
This is the person that feels anxious. Instead of praying, they go to the doctor to get a drug. This is the person that feels down because they're not doing what's right. You can feel sad and depressed because you're not doing what's right. Genesis chapter 4. Cain was depressed and downcast because he wasn't doing what... Don't you feel down when you don't do... You, you know, you don't do what's right and you feel terrible about that. I mean, if I'd have let that rat in the house right there, I could not have, I wouldn't have felt good about that. I'd have felt depressed. My wife would have, it wouldn't have been good. But he says, when you are led by the flesh, you, 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 you go to pharmacy before you go to God. Then he goes through all of these different sins and he just says, hey, this is what it means to be living by the flesh. And he tells this to true disciples. He says this to true disciples. He says, you go to pharmacy, you go to, you go to drugs. Now, hey, one of the biggest drugs in this country, cigarettes. Cigarettes. He says, if you are a disciple, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, and you turn to cigarettes before you turn to the Spirit, you'll be led by those things. And if you keep doing that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, for myself... I, I, I thought, okay, if I can go out and drink enough alcohol, I'll forget all the wicked things that I did. Problem is, I, I remember them all. And you remember them the next day when it feels even worse. You got the hangover, you got the splitting headache. Whose house am I in? I have a yellow sock on, a, a boot. What is this? Stuff on my, what, where am I at? I'm, I'm, I'm in, I, I'm, this, is, this has got to stop. That, that was my life. I'm so grateful to be in the kingdom of God now. Amen. I wake up, I got church, I got brothers, I got discipleship. We got people that we're trying to help out of the darkness. What, 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 what better life than to live by the Spirit? I, I, I'm so grateful to be a true disciple. You know, you can, you, you, leaders can be led by the flesh. Samson was led by the flesh. Had a great calling. But as a leader, he was led by the flesh. Remnant disciples can be led by the flesh. We got to look at this one. Turn to uh, 1 Kings. 1 Kings. This is a very important story. 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll come back to Romans. The Bible says this in verse 26. Historically, God's kingdom had divided. You had the ten tribes in the north, and you had the two in the south. The ten in the north had weakened and, and dare we say, lessened the commitment for the people. The two in the south still held on to their Hebraic name and were still fighting for their faith. That's Judah and Benjamin. And yet once the kingdom got divided after Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam came to power. And this is where we pick up the story is when Jeroboam's in power. In verse 26, it says Jeroboam thought to himself. Remember, Jeroboam is part of it. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is talking to God's people, the remnant here. It says the kingdom will now revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord at, in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, he even got people to agree with his sentimentality. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. I mean, he should have remembered what happened back, back in the day with God's people. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One he set up at Bethel, the other at Dan. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other. And the church said, 
These are, these are remnant disciples that were so led by the flesh that they didn't want to be fully committed. So they found a leader that would shorten the level of commitment. Shorten it. Shorten the distance. Wives can be led by the, by the flesh. Job had a real challenge with his wife. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, she says, Curse God and die! She says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Things got so tough for her, she let her flesh overtake. Grandmothers can be led by the flesh. God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't play when it comes to the flesh. Asa's grandmother, in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 15, the Bible says, King Asa also disposed of his grandmother, Makkah, from her position as queen mother because she made a repulsive Asherah pole. This is the sadness of people in, in their old age still struggling with the lust of the eye and impurity pornography. Asherah was the sex goddess. His grandma still led by the flesh even in the wee hours of her life. And he had to deal with it. Sentimentality can really hurt a church because that can really highlight you're led by the flesh. In number 16, verse 4, or verse 41, Leaders within the church started feeling a few things and having some attitudes against Moses. Moses says, hey guys, don't do that. I'm, 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 I know I've got my weaknesses, but, but don't, don't, don't go against me. Well, they did. Moses says, hey, the ground is going to swallow you on up if you don't, if you don't, if you stop. Listen, you've got to respect God. They didn't. The ground opened up and swallowed them up. And the Bible says that because they died, the people were led by the flesh and not the spirit. The Bible says that 14,000 people were mad at Moses and said, you killed the Lord's anointed. And more people died because of sentimentality than because of their rebellion in the church. Sentimentality is being led by your flesh. And if you let your flesh lead you, it will lead you right to the pit of hell. Sentimentality is something that really is corrupting the world we live in. It stops preachers from calling, from calling people to total commitment. It stops, it stops people from calling other people to total commitment. It blocks God's spirit from being able to introduce himself and get inside the church. That's what happened in Revelation. He says, I'm the spirit is not trying to get in, but the people, they didn't want the spirit. That's, that's too much. They didn't want God's spirit in the church. That's not us. We want God's spirit in the church. <laughs> we don't want to live by the flesh. We want to live by the spirit of God. Right, church? Amen. Well, let's close it on out. Back over to Romans. Verse 18. Paul says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. It says the creation awaits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to the frustration, not by its own choice, by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. He says the whole world, says the whole creation of the world is groaning. It, it, it's breaking down. 
The world is break. This reason why it bothers me when the world is so focused on climate change and they want to change the physical world and not the spiritual world. The world is breaking down. Paul is saying, right, he says, we know the whole world has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the sun groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says, you're getting older. And you grow, don't, doesn't that happen? You wake up and you go, ooh, what's that? What happened? You're getting older. That's what happened. That's what happened. Nothing happened. You try, I, I've, I've, tried, I've tried that a couple of times. I said, what happened yesterday? Age. That's what happened. And I'm just groaning right here. Ah, my physical body is breaking down. God made your body to break down so you will sense your mortality and get right and stop living by the flesh and start living by the spirit. He made you to break. He made this world to break down. We, we don't want to save the physical world. Yeah. We want to save the We want the spiritual world. Yeah. And, and so th this is living by the spirit. Yeah. We, we can't stop the world from breaking down. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It was created to break down by God. Yeah. This world won't last forever. Oh, Only when you live by the spirit can you really live and last forever. He says in verse 23 or verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that seems no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't want, know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. He says, when you get so sad that you don't even have the words to say, go sit there and God will pray for you. He says, the Spirit will pray for you. I, I, don't, don't tell me God's spirit doesn't pray for you. I, I had a moment last night where probably the saddest conversation I've had in 10 years. I found out as a young man that our family church, which doesn't go completely by the Bible, but they gave me my faith. We, we, we lost the church. Found out my uncle is no longer preaching. Found out molestation found out incest, found out other family members, life in prison, found out another family member, life in prison, found out my niece who was always sad, molested, found out my family's just breaking down, they don't have God, I couldn't, couldn't talk, I'm sad, God. I didn't know what to say. I sat there. Please, God, help my family. Help my family. Abusing one another. My uncles raping nieces, nieces. They're just all over the place. And the only one with any 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 sense of her her, her just destiny is she, she herself is breaking down. She's just saying, just not been the same without you not here. You're, just, you're gone. We just we don't know what to do. We're just harassed. We're helpless. I said, Auntie, you call everybody there. I'm coming to Portland. I'm doing a Bible study. We're going to study the Word of God. We're going to study the Word of God. We're going to, we're going to go for it. I had, to, I had to go sit and let the Spirit pray for me. And then I read this scripture. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, 
God. Works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. This scripture says God works for the good of those who love him. This is a deep and a, and a, and a hard teaching. But for the people of God, you need to embrace this. I say this out of love to protect you, to help you. The challenges in your life will either make you better or bitter. You will become a better Christian because you love God. Or you'll become a bitter Christian because you fall out of love with God and you fall in love with your flesh and you fall in love with how it feels in this life and your rewards are in this life and you forget that you're an alien. They're looking for aliens. The disciples are aliens. We are the aliens. This, is, this world is not our home. This, this is not our home. This is not your home. Your home is in heaven. You're created to be with God forever. Forever. My challenge is simple today. Believe that God works for the good of all who love him. He works for the good. God is for you. The cross proves that God is for you. It proves it. The fact that you can be forgiven of your sins proves that God is for you. That's what I got to tell my family. Everything that's happened in our family is so wicked, so dark. God can forgive you all. He is for you. He's not against us. He is for you. I want to challenge you to believe that God is for you. Be led by the Spirit. When you're led by the Spirit, you're willing to go anywhere, do anything, and give up everything. You're willing to give up your opinion. You're willing to give up your feelings. You're willing to give up your flesh. You're willing to go where the Spirit calls you. Let us be a people that are not controlled by our emotions, not controlled by what the world thinks of us. Let us be a people that are controlled by the very words of God found in the Bible. I love you. To God be all the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot U-K. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Mm-hmm.